did you find this? So, have you guys ever heard of this thing called, this new sport called Power Slap? How is slapping someone in the face a new sport? <laughs> Picture, like, um, okay, so obviously, uh, who is the guy, Shane, you said, that owns UFC? Dana White. He's Yeah, Dana White. He's starting this new, like, fighting thing. And it's not really fighting. So picture, picture like, you know how they have professional, like, arm wrestling tournaments and stuff? Yeah. Where it's like there's a podium between the two guys. And, um, you know, they put their arms on the table. They, so it's like, it's like that. So two guys face off of each other. The rules are you can slap someone in one, two, or three. So you can, like, line up your hand to their face and go like this. And then on the third, but you have to call it right away. So you're going to, when you walk up to the podium, you have to say slap in two or slap in three. <laughs> so the guy, so basically these guys just try and slap the shit out of their opponent as hard. And like, I don't know how this sport is legal because like these guys are getting concussed, like somewhere, sometimes right off the bat, like they get slapped and they just fall over and there's people behind them to catch them and stuff. When that happens, have you seen the one where it's like Russia, but instead of the slap fight, cause the slap fights moved off from Russia, but now they're duct taped to that thing and they can throw fists. So they have oh. one hand where they, where they, it's, I think it's their non-dominant <laughs> hand. So they just swing at each other as the table's moving. Oh yeah. my God. Humanity's not long for this world. <laughs> some of these, some of these matches I was watching. Anyway, we, I, I, I had a birthday brunch with a bunch of friends and Tony was there on Sunday. And one of my buddies came over afterwards just to chill. And he's like, you ever heard of this power slap? And I looked it up, I had it on, uh, on Xfinity on demand or whatever. So we watched like half of like the first like season. And there's like this whole thing it's a whole reality show. Like you go there's these guys are living in the slap house, you know, and they have to do all these slap related activities. There's a guy named uh slap Jesus <laughs> slap Jesus. He, he is who you would, he's got really long hair. He's exactly who you would think he looks like. Um, and most of these guys are like former, like UFC fighters that either I'm guessing couldn't cut it. Or got hurt really bad, and now they can just use their arms. But it's it's an interesting watch. But I the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, how is this fucking legal? Because these guys, you could die. And there actually has been someone that died. I looked it up. Only one confirmed so far. But the sport's not even a year or two old. And the next event is in Vegas, Shane, uh, in April. If you're in Vegas in April. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I would love to go for our sponsor as our ad read wraps up. I would love for us to get a free flight to Vegas for the weekend so we can degenerately gamble. I looked it up. I'm like, Jason, we should go. And the tickets are between like 500 and three grand because the place they only is like a thousand person venue. That's UFC for you. Yeah. Yeah. And if you sit up close, you're in the splatter zone. But you guys got to watch some of these videos uh, when you get a chance later. It, it's it's insane. It's insane. These guys are just whomping the shit out of the sides of these faces. And they they show the replays all in like slow-mo and stuff. And uh, you can see the guy's face just bleh. Maybe it was the champagne that you guys had at brunch. Because um, it was your actual birthday on Sunday. So happy belated birthday. Happy birthday. That's true. Thank you. Like, maybe it was all the champagne you guys had at brunch, but, like, 
this is the second time I've heard this story because your friend Jason, <laughs> your friend Jason that stayed over and watched that is my bandmate. So when we went practiced on Tuesday, he was like, dude, we watched like three hours worth of power slap. <laughs> yeah. and, and and he's like, he's like, and then I went home and the whole time I was driving home, I was like, I should have stayed and watched more. I don't think it's in the water. I think it's he's a power slap champion and he has severe CTE, so he can't remember a damn thing. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, so power slapped, uh, episode 121. We're here. Craig's here. It's ladies night. It's Friday night. It's snowing by me and Ryan it's snowing like crazy. Yeah. It was, uh, uh 80 degrees, 80 degrees a day here. Totally. 80 cool. degrees and snowing. Oh my God. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Fuck. So, uh, we got, we got some stuff. We got some dynasty buys and sells. We got a lot today. We got some rookies. Um, <laughs> so Let's just hop in with our bits, Ryan. Uh, why don't you start us off as as we do? All right, guys. So I put this guy off last week because uh, Tony had a really long segment. So this week, we're talking about Mr. Sebastian Janikowski, yes. a.k.a. Seabass. All right? Go. Yes. He is a uh, Polish-born uh, player, one of, like, there's, I looked up, I looked it up just for shits. I think it was a handful maybe a couple more of players that have actually played in the NFL and this one Polish players that have played in the NFL this one is clearly the uh, most famous um he played for 18 or 19 seasons mostly with Oakland and he went to like the Seahawks like the last year of his career but yeah he played for 19 years in the NFL He's tied the NFL record for 63-yard field goal, which now has been broken, right? It's 64 now. It's 65. Right. No, it's 66. It's, Tucker had 66. Is this, oh, that's right. It doesn't count. Why is that? Why is your justification? Because I got one, too. Because it was a false – or was a, didn't the, the play clock run over? Oh, that's, that's administrative. I don't count it. <laughs> I don't count it because it's in a fucking dome. The longest field right. goal record should be sp- split up between outdoors and in a dome. <laughs> so here's how he came over to America. Um, he was playing soccer because uh, his dad was like a, a big soccer player. Uh, I don't know if he was like, you know, a superstar, but he was a big soccer player in uh, for a Polish team. So Seabass... Uh, when he was 15, uh, got a chance to play on the uh, Polish team, the under-17 team when he was 15. And his at the time, his parents were going through a divorce, and his father ended up marrying an American citizen. And I didn't know this. I know I knew that like if you married an American citizen, you could you were now an American citizen. But I didn't know that your children uh, could also apply for American citizenship because of that so that's how he made his way over to uh the united states uh to florida uh he went to high school in daytona beach he spoke very little english but he learned quickly by taking a three-week night class and by watching television it seems kind of incomprehensible to me uh that he could just learn a language in three weeks and watch a bunch of television and all of a sudden you know english but i guess that's a, that's a story for a lot of people that are trying to learn english i mean if you watch like daytime tv right if you like put on four hours of jerry springer you can pretty much figure out a conversation with a general american right sure so true. sure yeah he played both soccer and football in high school but was ultimately recruited to be the team's uh, place kicker 
and he earned a reputation by kicking four field goals of 50 or more yards in high school. And one of them was one of them was for 60, uh, third best in Florida high school history. And one time at a practice at high school, he kicked an 82 yard field goal. Blackhawk. Real quick, I did I did a little bit of math. Uh, Sebastian Janikowski was born in 1978, and he emigrated sometime between 15 and 16, and that's where he learned English. There's a good chance he learned that English by watching Party of Five. Oh, maybe, or maybe like Friends or, Se- yeah. or Seinfeld. I'm saying I'm gonna give Nev Campbell credit on this one. Love her. Okay. Scream. Oh, so good. So he attended Florida State University after high school. He played for famous coach Bobby Bowden's Florida State Seminoles. And later, you know, was uh, he had said that, like, think of how many championships I would have won if I would have had him, like, my entire career. So in 99, he won the Lou Graza Award for second year in a row, an honor given annually to the nation's top college kicker. Um, Janikowski is currently the only player uh, to win that award two years in a row, ever. Damn. Okay. He became popular with fans for being able to place kick a kickoff through the end zone uprights, having done it so often that the stadium monitors would display field goal graphics, even though it was uh, a kickoff and not an actual field goal attempt. (laughs) (laughs) Here's where uh, his college career gets a little interesting. Uh, In 1998, uh, he got into a fight outside of a Tallahassee bar and was charged with failure to leave the premises. He pled no contest to the misdemeanor. That same year, the night after a season-ending win over rival Florida, Janikowski got into a fight at a local bar and was charged with battery. In the 1999 season, FSU again was in contention for the national title. Prior to the team's appearance in the national championship game, the 2000 Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, Janikowski declared his intentions for the NFL draft saying his primary reason for foregoing his senior year was to pay for his mother to come to the United States. That's pretty, pretty cool. Good for him. Yeah. His final game for FSU, uh, he converted five of five points after and kicked a 32 yard field goal, uh, to help them win their second national championship. There we go. Although Janikowski's skill as a kicker was unquestioned, uh, his off-the-field behavior was a cause of concern. In 2000, January, uh, he was partying with a group of friends when his high school friend was arrested at a nightclub. Janikowski, who later said he was thinking he could save everyone paperwork and trouble, approached the arresting officer and asked how much it would take to let his friend go. Uh, he was then arrested for attempting to bribe an officer, a charge that carried a $5,000 fine up to five years in jail and possible deportation. That's um, bullshit. That's bullshit. Yeah. Right. Janikowski claimed that he thought he could pay a small fine to have his friend release, but the officer interpreted it as an action as an attempted bribe. So he was then drafted uh, later that year, uh, 17th overall. As a kicker. Yes, sir. By the Raiders. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, right after that, um, you know, his bribery charges were dropped. That's weird how that works. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, his battery charges uh, were acquitted as well. Okay, good. <laughs> but 
just eight days after his acquittal, um, he and two friends were arrested in Tallahassee on suspicion of felony possession of GHB. And oh, we yeah. All know that is the date rate drug. But hey, GHB is, is athletes that are on steroids take GHB. What? Why? It, it's a sleep aid. Oh, because like steroids makes you not sleepy? There's like a long history of GHB as part of like a a PED because it's like uh the hormone the growth hormone gets released with like sleep. Really? Yeah. Uh there was a basketball player, Tom Gugliata. Uh I just googled it. Tom Gugliata almost died from a GHB supplement that a friend gave him to help him sleep. You Gugliata it? Yeah, it's wow. I Gugliata docs. <laughs> um but once again, he was uh, acquitted of all charges because uh, now he's in the NFL. So, yes, his career got off to a pretty rough start. He only made sixty-eight point eight percent of his field goal attempts uh, the first year, um, but he converted all forty-six extra point tries. Then in two thousand one, his attempts kept going up. He was eighty-two point one percent in the in the sophomore year. And also the sophomore year, the Raiders made it to Super Bowl 37. And he had an early field goal in the first quarter, uh, which gave the Raiders a 3 nothing lead over Tampa. But that would be the Raiders' only lead of the game because they lost that game 48-21. to In 2003, in October, uh, Janikowski tied the NFL record by completing four field goals in a quarter. What a bad offense. In 2007, he attempted to kick a 64-yard record field goal before halftime against the Texas on a windless Oakland afternoon. If that kick was successful, the kick would have broken the all-time NFL record by of 63 yards. However, it bounced off the upright and came back out. He also hit one later. Uh, in 2008, he unsuccessfully attempted a 76-yard field goal. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Against the Chargers uh, into the heavy wind, too. It's presumed to be the longest attempt in NFL history, although it says here that the league does not keep records on attempts, the yardage of the attempts. That seems, why wouldn't they keep a record of that? Maybe like past a certain point they don't have it. I'm sure they have it Uh, now. The longest known attempts previous to this were 74 yards by Mark Mosley and Joe Danello. Also in 2008, uh, he broke his own Raiders team record, making a 57-yard field goal in overtime to defeat the Jets 16-13, to the longest overtime field goal in NFL history, uh, still to this day. In 2009, he broke his own team record by kicking a 61-yard field goal against the Cleveland Browns before halftime. In 2010, he converted a 59-yard field goal in the second quarter of a home game against the Colts making him the second player with two 59-yard-plus field goals. Uh, That would also be Morton Anderson. In 2010, he reached his 1,000th career point. He's got got a bunch of other records for these long-ass kicks. Oh, yeah. He's the only kicker to kick a 50-yard field goal with a giant mouthful of dip in. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, his his personal records are... Long, like we said, the longest field goal attempt ever, 76 yards. The most extra points in a Super Bowl. He kicked eight extra points in a Super or, Sorry, in a Pro Bowl, not in a Super Bowl. Okay. Most field goals attempted of 60-plus yards in his career, uh, eight. 
most field goals of 50 plus yards in a career. Anyone want to guess how many that is? 50 plus? Is it over 50 total? Yeah, successful. Yeah, 54. 62. Right in the middle. 58. Okay. Uh, Like I said earlier, also most field goals in one quarter. uh, Four. Um, And then also the longest field goal in overtime with 57 yards, as I said earlier, as well. And this guy was, yeah, like Tony said, he was always dipping or there's pictures of him smoking a cigarette. He was just a badass, and he was like a huge guy too. Yeah, he's a tank. Yeah, he's he's six one, two hundred and sixty pounds for a kicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he retired in two thousand nineteen. Uh, nineteen years in the NFL. Also, he is the Raiders' all time leading scorer ever with seventeen hundred and ninety nine points. Sheesh! This guy was a boss, and. From Poland, Mr. Sebastian Janikowski, Seabass. Seabass. He's a fucking legend, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to do my next, you don't mind, Chance Shorty. Cool. So I'm going to hop in the Wayback Machine for episode 121. We're going to look at events that took place during the 1921 NFL season. Cholera. Close. Uh, well, this one doesn't involve any diseases, but I'm sure the flu was still kicking around somewhere. Um, this this season ended with a grift known forever in Buffalo as the Staley Swindle. Hey, that was like the last three years of the Chargers. Yes, it's going to get worse. So this is this is arguably worse than uh, the Bills kicker missing the kick in the Super Bowl. Oops. So this is the year before the league changed to be called the NFL. At the time, it was still the AF or the APFA, the American Pro Football Association. The two teams involved were the Chicago Staleys, who would become the Bears the following season, and the Buffalo All-Americans. The lineage for that specific organization ends in 1928, so it's not tied to the Bills. But the Bears obviously managed to stick around and disappoint fans for about a century since. So this was before there were playoffs or championship games. So as the season ended, Buffalo was going to be the winner with a record of nine wins, zero losses, and two ties. The Bears were 8-1, and one, with their only loss coming to Buffalo in the only game that year that the Bears allo- or the Staleys allowed themselves to play on the road. All the other ones, they required people to come to Chicago. Which, Shane, this doesn't mean anything to you, but it might mean something to Ryan. If you know anyone who lives in Chicago... They never come out to visit you in the burbs. You always have to go to Chicago. So this is like the most right. Chicago thing ever. The The Bills have a better record. And Chicago owner slash player George Hallis challenged Buffalo coach Frank McNeil to run it back at the end of the season. And McNeil accepted under the agreement that it was an exhibition match and would not impact the standings. Since McNeil considered it an exhibition, he let a lot of the dudes that he borrowed from other teams go play exhibitions elsewhere around the same time, including the day beforehand against Detroit. Those players played in Detroit, took an overnight train back to Chicago to play the next day. Um, the tired and beaten up Buffalo players put up quite a fight, but lost the game 10-7. to McNeil gave his players little gold footballs because the Super Bowl didn't exist, championship trophies didn't exist, whatever. But they gave them like little golden footballs to commemorate their championship. So even if the game had counted, the Staleys would have come in second by way of having one less win than Buffalo. 
So at this point, Chicago decided that they were going to schedule two very quick games in December against bad teams. They won one and tied the other, and they ended up having the same record as Buffalo because Buffalo, that was their last game. So both teams were 9-1 and one, since ties didn't account on the official score for your record. Hallis then goes around to the other league owners to convince them that the Staleys deserved the title since, and you can't argue with this logic, the second game mattered more than the first. Yeah, it checks out. Totally makes sense, right? Like, come on, it's more recent. And and if you combined the scores in their two team their two games that year, Chicago outscored them 16 to 14. So clearly, like, you gotta give Chicago the title, right? Like, come on. So McNeil, the, the coach of the Bills, was pissed. He's like, dude, the games after the original final games were exhibitions. And Hallis's argument was since there's no official end date of the season, there are no exhibitions. And uh, the league um, allows this. And the rematch counts more than the first matchup, which is a tiebreaker that would be used until 1933 when the league officially started having a postseason championship when the league was split into two conferences. As for 1921, the Staleys were awarded the championship. McNeil spent the rest of his life arguing that he totally got screwed, but to no avail. So as a result of the Staley swindle, the NFL decided to institute a finite end to the regular season to prevent teams stacking games on at the end to improve their record. Imagine if they did that now, where it'd be like seven years, where it's like, we're 48 and five. Yeah, like, hurry up. We got to get a couple <laughs> games in against the Saints before, before the season ends. Um, so that is the 1921 Staley swindle, a completely stolen NFL championship before the NFL even existed. I wish we could rake more things like that. Like the common man, right? Like the system's rigged no matter what, but like, can I, can I get a little bit of that juice, a little bit of that action? I did a profile on a guy probably what, like eight months ago. That was like a high or college football player. And then he left and he stole like a couple, like a few million dollars from the law firm he was working for. And he went away into the woods and someone showed up and they're like, you're that guy. And he's like, yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> no, he's like, I am that guy. And they brought him back and built a fucking statue with him. And everyone just was cool with the fact that he took like $4 million. I got a guy who sucks, who's revered. All right, let's go. Because do you know what today is the anniversary of? Let's see. Today is the 23rd of February. It involves your general area. It's a basketball. Reference. February, February 23rd. Well, it's February twenty third for basketball. I I tap. You gotta you gotta give it to me, Ryan. You gotta it's guess. Michael, it's, it's Michael Jordan's number twenty three. That's all I think I got. It's good old Bobby Knight throwing that chair on the court. Oh shit! Oh, he just died, <laughs> didn't he? Uh, yeah, last year. So I covered a psycho a couple months ago, AB. So I'm back at it again with another fucking psycho. Um, I'm not going to give the history of Bobby uh, or his coaching tenure because it is extensive for a red ass bully. And I'm amazed yeah. he was uh, able to stay employed for as long as he was. Yeah. Um, so I'm always curious as why people are the way they are and why the moments that brought them to that point in their life where they decided to go down that certain path. Um, and I think Bobby's cruelty kind of stemmed from the singular event quote in his life from his coach during his playing time at Ohio State, Frank Truitt. So to set the scene, Ohio State, like usual, was pretty stacked in sports. So Bobby was viewed as a bench player and saw limited playing time. 
In the 1961 championship, Bobby came off the bench with a little under two minutes to go in the game and ended up tying the game with his efforts. He went up to the coach and started yelling at him and he said um, the whole time that he should have been in the game the whole time. And his coach replied, sit down, you hot dog. You're lucky to even be on the floor. Damn, dude. If you got called a hot dog back then, that's fucking (laughs) serious. So his first incident of uncontrollable rage was in 1966 when he was coach for the Army. They lost in the semis and Bobby became unglued, throwing lockers and verbally undressing the officials to the entire locker room. Which, I mean, like, could be worse, right? Um, Sure. But especially at that time. That's freaking mad. He's throwing the actual lockers? Yeah, he was uh, pretty Jesus. So former Olympic wrestling gold medalist Doug Bluebaugh was the wrestling coach in Indiana in the early 70s. So good old Bobby would yell at him to get out of his practice facility because he would run the um, the basketball court for cardio. Sure. And in, in peak anti-bully behavior, Bluebaugh threw him against the wall and told him to never do it again, which good old Bobby did not do. <laughs> Small man, big mouth. Sometimes you just need to get hit back. Yeah, and I think uh, Bobby Knight definitely need to be punched in the face a lot more. Uh, I'm we'll, saying. We'll cover, that, we'll cover that as we go along. So in cool. 74, Indiana beat Kentucky. Bobby hit coach Joe Hall in the back of the head, and assistant coach and former Federal Bureau of Investigation agent Lynn Nance had to be restrained before ragdolling good old Bobby. Jesus. So Knight blamed Hall and said, if it was meant to be malicious, I would have blasted the fucker into the seats. <laughs> he does have objectively funny quotes except sure. for like one we're going to talk about um, I'm going to skim over it because it's pretty gross but okay. yeah he does say some funny things if you're kind of like anti-authoritarian or kind of a dickhead Right. Um, during this time period he also punched and, ch- and choked sports informant director uh, Kit Kingelhoff over press releases that Bobby did not like so in 1976 Bobby grabbed Jim Wiseman and threw him into his seat who was a former player and at the very end of the 1976 championship game, the Hoosers were undefeated. And immediately after the game, when he was interviewed about the season, Bobby whines and says that it should have been two undefeated seasons in a row. Jesus Christ. So in 1979, Bobby was convicted of assaulting a police officer during the Pan American Games uh, in Puerto yes. Rico. He was, sentenced yeah. to six mo- he was sentenced to six months in jail, but due to laws at the time, extradition was unsuccessful. But <laughs> due to the Supreme Court case, they wow. realized that they could have done it but nobody ever pulled the trigger. It was just, it was just fine. Yeah, like whatever. Uh, so in 81, there was bad blood between Indiana and Purdue, where Isaiah Thomas allegedly sucker punched Roosevelt Barnes, but based on the replay, he was acting in self-defense, but this was kind of the powder keg to events that would follow. So a month later, good old Bobby, uh, he, according to him, there was many chants lined up that slandered him, his wife in Indiana. So Bobby would invite, uh, I think he was the athletic administrator, of Purdue, George King to 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 come onto his show because he had a weekly segment. I don't know why this man had so much power with everything, um, but George King would decline, and Bobby brought out an actual donkey onto the show wearing a Purdue hat. Nice. So, uh. in 1985, here's the chair incident. He was suspended for one game and given two years probation. And between 1985 and 1989, per Todd Jala, he was punched in the face, had a clipboard broken over his head, and was sexually assaulted with, along with other Hoosers. Bobby Knight was sexually assaulted. No, J- Todd Jadlaw. Sorry. Oh, so he, he was he was a victim of of uh, wow. Bobby Knight. I keep wanting to say Bobby Bonilla, again, but I don't know why. That's way cooler. It's not, it's not, it's yeah. not Bobby Bonilla day yet. It's just a nope. way cooler name. I suppose of Bobby Knight. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so in 88, he made a derogatory rape joke uh, against a <sighs> newscaster. 
1991, he threatened the team because they were getting beaten by Purdue in the locker room to try to uh, inspire them. In 1992, he made a whipping motion towards his black players while they were practicing. Jesus. In 1995, he verbally berated an NCAA volunteer. So later in life, Richard Manville said Bobby would show people his shit and claimed, this is how you guys are playing. Uh, I just want to let that sit. I I just needed to let that sit for a minute. Uh, and take in mind that this guy was the coach of Indiana, which I'm proud that I'm not from that state right now. Yeah, good God. Uh, there's an allegation that Knight berated and physically intimidated a secretary by throwing a potted plant at her and getting in her face. Threw and... a potted plant? Are you, he threw the ficus? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he, can, he can throw a locker. Yeah. So Ron Felling was allegedly thrown out of a chair after he criticized the program. In 1997, he was dismissed from Indiana after choking a player due to not calling him Mr. Knight or Coach Knight, but instead just Knight. I thought he was going to call him like Bobby or something. Like I, oh. Not that it's justified, but like... It was like some passing comment. He's like, hey, Knight, what's up? And No, maybe literally... I bet you he probably called him like M. Knight or something. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> what a twist. So in 2017, Knight said that he wished the administration that fired him were all dead. <laughs> 20 years <laughs> later, after his last game as a Hoosier, he returned to the stadium for the very first time and received the standing ovation. Of course. Wow. He was actually, uh, when he was fired from uh, Indiana, they basically, a riot happened on stage where everybody made this like effigy of the sports director who fired him and like burned it as they went to the dude's house. Oh my god! Yeah, Indiana's fucking nuts, dude. Big time. Uh, man. That is in true. Two, in 2006, Bobby Knight had to be restrained as a 66-year-old because a student was heckling him. <laughs> okay, 2006. I was 20 years old. If you would have told me, because I knew who Bobby Knight was, if you could have told me that I could have put him on tilt, I would have done that shit in a heartbeat. It's like it's embarrassing. It's like online behavior. You you know you're gonna get provoked. Like it, especially the more that it's out there, people know they can fuck with you all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a probably one of the biggest ones that kind of just got brushed under the the rug. So in 2007, Bobby fired a shotgun in the direction of James Simpson due to hunting too close to his house. Oh my god! This guy's initial reaction to anything, like someone sneezing, is just to like throw chairs and blast off shotguns. I don't it's, get it. It's because someone called him a hot dog. Just fucking hot dog, man. And he died last year. Rest in piss, bozo. Called him M. Knight. Pack watch. R.I.P. Bob Knight. Fucking dickhead. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know he was that much of a fucking monster. I was like, oh, he threw the thing. Because, like, in sports history, I mean, that was before I was alive, right? But it became so yeah. popularized of just jokes. of like, oh, okay, here's this reference. And we can throw it into the Simpsons or whatever and stuff. I'm like, okay, oh, I get oh. it. But can you imagine the the type of you know the the way we film things and everyone's got phones can you imagine the stuff we would would have been able to see if it, all this wasn't happening in the 70s and 80s yeah but well, he still had a job he was hired at uh what coach what team did in the 90s too what team did uh cliff kingsbury teach at in college texas tech yeah or coach yeah. he yeah he coached until like 2007 at texas tech oh wow well, yeah. like the the chair thing that's a funny thing it's funny that he threw a chair yeah, as long as nobody gets hurt right but he's a bad person like i think about shane i don't know if you've ever seen it i know i've sent it to ryan 
there was a documentary called Playing for Peanuts, and it's like oh, a minor minor league we talked, baseball. We talked about it, yeah. Yeah, Wally Beckman just yelling at the umpires, like throwing all the bats and baseballs onto the field and telling the umpires, like, you pick it up, you piece of shit. <laughs> like, that's funny because umpires get paid to get yelled at. And they're all kind of cops, you know what I mean? In, in For the sure. Cop sport. Which is funny because the way you're describing Bobby Knight, I'm like, this dude should have been a cop. Oh, dude, he would have fucking killed like 17 people. <laughs> I oh know. <laughs> no, he would have been the worst era too. Not let him have a gun. He he would have been on desk duty. Like if he was eight months, he'd have one month on the beat and then seven months on desk duty. Like that's just right. that type of dude. Over under on how many Netflix specials on Bobby Bonilla's malpractice as a police officer? It's got to be three, right? Three point five. Over Zero under. for Bobby Bonilla, but. <laughs> Over for sorry, Bobby Knight. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bobby Bonilla. I would watch the shit out of a Bobby Bonilla true crime doc where it's like every year this man steals one million dollars, and and they show that they show the crime. It's just him going to the bank and handing a teller a check. <laughs> his checks. Oh man! Someone said in the Discord recently, like there are way more egregious contracts now that people are still paying out, and it's just we just remember Bobby Bonilla, but it was the because it was the first. And I'm like, sure. I didn't, I didn't say it cause I'm not, I try to not be that person, but my initial response was shut up nerd. Look at the NFL. They just had to expand the cap by like what? $30 million to make sure the saints can play NFL football. This year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and look at, look at what uh, they did with like Otani's contract. It's all back ended. So when he like moves back to Japan, he gets all that money and doesn't have to pay as much tax on it or something like that. Which I think is like, it's basically you're putting it to a 401k. And I think that's responsible as ownership to be like, Hey, listen, we're just going to cheap you out here, but you know what? If the world doesn't get hit by an asteroid, we don't kill each other. Here you go. Thanks. Right. Well, that's when the chief signed Mahomes to his extension. Everyone's like, that's like not even real. That's so much money. And now it's like, Oh wow. They've got and to now, steal yeah. on and now, he, and now he's yeah, and now he's like the third or fourth like highest paid quarterback, right? Um got it. Who who's higher now? Uh Lamar Burrow. Yeah, that's right. Herbert. Everyone who signed this year, yeah. Well, you I mean you so you were saying, Shane, <clears throat> that they increased the uh the cap by thirty mil and also the Saints restructured Ryan's boy Derek Carr's contract. He's there for another year. And they gave him like 23 of his $30 million as like a signing bonus so that it doesn't. And, and like, imagine being so bad that they can't fire you and they have to pay you up front. That's just, that just shows you how, what a shitty place that is to work. I mean, God bless him. Right. I wish I was that mid at my life and could be just rewarded (laughs) for just showing up to work. Right. Yep. And just not doing great. Um, all right, so is, is Derek Carr your buy for this next segment? No, but what a transition! Uh, I do have an oh, incredibly, wow. I have an incredibly immobile old white quarterback that is my dynasty buy of the week. Tom Brady, close. Kirk Cousins. Kirk oh. Cousins is the Coles brand version of Tom Brady. So okay, coming off an injury, no shit. Technically a free agent, but like. It's been pretty clear throughout all of this conversation that like he's going to take a team-friendly deal to stay in Minnesota for two or three more years to try to get his title. That's, that's just what he wants to do. I mean, he's, he's said as much. 
Assuming he comes back cheaply, they'll re-sign Justin Jefferson, and they'll continue to surround Kirk with some of, if not the best set of pass catchers in the league. Right? I mean, Jefferson, Addison, Hawkinson? I mean, luckily, Hawkinson will come back at the right time. Right. Um, so add on to the fact that the running back room in Minnesota, it sucks. You guys, it sucks. I think Minnesota's probably going to spend one of their picks on a pass catching back at some point. And with the knowledge that we have that the Vikings offense doesn't run the ball at all, his dynasty price on keep trade cut at quarterback 26 is obscene. Are you kidding me? Nope. 26 quarterback, 26 keep trade cut. He has been a top 12 quarterback every year for the last four years, including uh, his pace when he got hurt last season. He was still top 12. And his value on KTC is somewhere between an early second and a late 2025 first. So if I'm pushing in this year on a super flex league, Cousins is the ideal quarterback too. And if I could get him for next year's first, if I'm planning on contending, that's a huge push. Like that's, he had 18 passing touchdowns in a little under eight games. And in five of his eight games, he was a top 10 quarterback. Yeah, that's true. He was getting off to like a really good start. One of the things that I said last year in the offseason was that you can count out this player because of his scheme, but Matthew Stafford can still fucking spin it. And I'm going to say the thing, same thing about Kirk Cousins, man. He can still spin the rock, and he should be a solid buy for anyone looking to make a push. On startup value, he's going after David Njoku, George Kittle, before Baker Mayfield, Javante Williams, Mari Cooper, and Cole Komet. You could trade Cole Komet and like a third to get Kirk Cousins. That is buck wild. So, so look, most people, the this was talked about in the Discord, and everyone's like, I know Kirk Cousins is worth a first, but no one wants to pay pay a first. You know what? If I think that my pick is going to be somewhere between 110 and 112, I will gladly ship my 2025 first so that the Kirk manager can see that number one in the deal and not think that they're getting scammed. Cool. You get Jahan Dotson. Right. Uh, Jalen Tolbert. Right. Uh, a, a Donnie Mitchell. Sick. Right. 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 So, so that price, quarterback 26, worth a uh, late 2025 first. Kirk Cousins, are you fucking kidding me? That's my dynasty by the week. Wow. Can I hit you with a, another Kirked up white boy who's on discount right now? Bring it. So my guy, it's low-hanging fruit. I'm sure every other dynasty podcast has covered this in their existence, but I don't listen to any other ones, so this is my <laughs> network. So this is this is what we're talking about. My guy's Mark Andrews. Okay. Ooh, okay. So okay. Yeah. it's amazing to me what an injury can do to a player's perceived value in Dynasty. The amount of recency bias is something that I believe can be ex- extremely exploitable. Last year was basically uh, Andrews was the un- unquestioned tight end two, potentially tight end three, depending on how much you loved Hawkinson in that scheme. Um, and right now he's tight end four, right ahead of tight end five, Dalton Kincaid. So Andrews finished as tight end 13 this year in PPR when he only basically played nine games. I'm making an extremely disgusted face that Dalton Kincaid is tight end five. Are you fucking kidding me? Yep. Anyways, yeah. sorry. Sell that shit. Go on. So I know the downside potential is scary of Andrews not being the only pass catcher, pass catching option in Baltimore anymore, but the ability of 
the ball, the ball to be spread, spread, spread around more in the Todd Munkin system kind of opens him up more. So even with the lower targets per game on average in 23, uh, Mark Andrews still had a 22.7 target share ranking ninth at the position, which is still yeah. like a number we want to see all across the board. He's not getting 40% like he was, but high efficiency still counts. So there are two of those players in that tier list that I don't really count this year because Zach Ertz was ahead of him, and I don't think he's going to be in the NFL for very long. No. And Joe Flacco will not be targeting David Njoku last year, so we can say at the very minimum, Andrews is going to be a top seven targeted tight end in 2024. Easily. With Hawk recovering for, from his torn ACL, he's out of the picture for most of the season efficiently. I don't think Evan Ingram maintains 8.4 targets a, a game. And Darren Waller, it's Jover, so I'm sorry. R.I.P. So unless injury strikes again, I don't really foresee Andrews being outside of the top five in tight end production in 2024. Um, obviously, Brock Bowers is coming in. So uh, we have talked about, we talk about it forever, but, but positional advantage does push players into a higher tier. And the way the disparity of tight end right is right now, you kind of have four options. So you pay up for top talent, you punt the position, you hope to God that tight ends do what Sam Laporta did. Thank you to Ryan. Or you cry in your shares of Kyle Pitts. Yep. So right now, Andrews is a fifth-round startup pick where he was maybe a third-round last year. Uh, the kind of right now where he was in relation to last year where startup picks were happening is the same spot where Christian Watson, Najee Harris, and Quentin Johnson were being taken, So, which is insane draft, draft capital fall-off to me. So he's Oof. currently behind Michael Pittman, Hawk, Jared Goff, Drake London. He's ahead of Tank Dell, Dalton Kincaid, Rashi Rice, T. Higgins. He's between pick 106 and 107. So the question here truly is, if you're going to do a one-to-one pick, falling in with the third in-line strategy of hoping on uh, rookie tight ends is, do you take Sam Laporta? Or sorry, not Sam Laporta. Do you take Brock Bowers or Mark Andrews? So situation is going to determine where he actually falls and how people move him up and down on picks. But he's basically going to be a lock of top five, so the choice is yours to come. Um, but to me, I kind of want to prove an asset in that circumstance for that level of a pick, right? Like... As much as Brock Bowers, I haven't covered him yet, but like my philosophy in tight end premium leagues is like that's where Hawkinson should go. Or not Hawkinson, sorry, uh Bauer should go. But like is tight end that game breaking in the context of that high of a pick no. in regards to non tight end premium? Like is the difference no. between twelve points and ten points really that significant? No. Um, so unfortunately for what I've seen in my leagues is the managers who do have shares of Andrews generally were either playoff teams or on the cusp of playoff teams, but they had injuries, um, and their depth was kind of why they stumbled, but they still have very powerful teams. So they more or less likely will have belief in their teams and won't really trade away a depressed value asset right now as I think they can get, uh, 106 to 109 to shore up or they can use their 106 to 109 to shore up their team to make another run that's the only really hiccup i can see but um any kind of package would do so um i would personally move a late first plus ryan's sell of last year or last week with jake ferguson because they're like two two rounds of startup value off um and there might be enough for someone to push the button to think that they're getting a better buy option with a production value standpoint sure so, uh, I think this window is a very small window because I think that as the season progresses or as the off season progresses, people are going to understand that Mark Andrews is Mark Andrews and he's just going to continually rise up on draft boards. And I still believe that he'll finish as a top three tight end in 2024. Oh yeah. I think last year was, I mean, like you said, he was hurt. Hawks not coming back till what October at the very earliest, presumably. Right. So you've got, that sucks so bad for him. 
you got what Kelsey McBride, Laporta, Bowers, Bowers Ho- maybe hoping fingers well, crossed. Bowers maybe it's all going to depend on who drafts Bowers, right? Like it's all going to be situational. Like like just like last year, you got to look for the team like Detroit that there's the one star wide receiver and then a hole at the who's going to be the second in targets. You got to look for that position if he, you know, goes to like San Francisco, well then, yeah, that's a development. That's a, so he's not, you know, he's estimated to be a top five between top twelve. So we have Chargers, Giants, Tennessee, Atlanta, Chicago, Jets, Minnesota, Denver. Um, so top as, top twelve. Yeah, I mean, Chargers have been like initially were the guy, but then they've been moved on. The the Chargers and the Giants both need offensive linemen. That's true. Brock Bowers is not an offensive lineman. He's a tight end. He can block well. I mean, we'll talk about him later in one of our one of our segments about tight ends. Who's at uh, 10, 11, 12? Uh, 10 is uh, the Jets, Minnesota, Denver. I could see the Jets or Brown. Uh, but I think, I hate to say it, I think J.J. McCarthy, you are a Denver Bronco. If he makes yeah. it that far, I'm hearing so many rumblings of like, I mean, obviously it's take season. This is like Will Levis Psyop 2.0, but like people think he's going to be top 10. I don't know. We'll, f- we'll find out. Can I just break some news real quick? I don't know if this popped up for you yet, Shane. Uh, we have our first franchised player this year. No, I did not see that. Is it T. Higgins? No. It is T. Higgins. Damn, dude. T. Higgins Damn. is signed, is, is uh, being placed on the franchise tag 21.8 mil, fully guaranteed one year. I mean, good for him. Yeah, I like him behind uh, Jamar Chase, and it'll just be interesting to see uh, what they do at the third wide receiver position. But those two guys, T. Higgins and Chase, play really well together. I like it. All I'm saying is, I'm trying to sell all my Tanner Hudson shares. Who? Oh, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, Ryan. All right, guys. I, You know what? I'm looking at some stuff here. I think I'm interested in trying to shop and sell Debo Samuel. Okay. His production, especially in San Francisco and that Shanahan offense, it shows that he's because they have McCaffrey now, they don't need to lean on him in the run game anymore. And because of that, he's and Ayuk's presence and Kittle's presence, he's not getting as much action as like his best two weeks uh were week what fourteen or thirteen and fourteen uh at Philly and at Seattle, where he had a thirty-three and a thirty point game uh back to back. But other than that, it was like Two points, then 18 points, then 0.6 points, then 10 points, then one point. For the amount I think I could sell them for is exploitable right now, I think. Um, Before people, I know people are going to have the same opinion and see the same stuff I'm seeing. But you know just as well as I do that tons of people play the game of fantasy football and don't know as much as we do. And that could be exploitable. Um, and trying to sell shares of Debo Samuel. Um, I mean, you could also pivot someone, to and be like, hey, listen, he was injured. This is why his production wasn't good, right? And then you can move up. True. But yeah, that's, that's who I'm selling this year. I, I don't like the coaching system that he's in. They have McCaffrey. They have 
three other weapons to throw to. Shit, they're even giving stuff to Kyle Juszczyk in the Super Bowl. I mean, trying to get everything I can. Juszczyk didn't get his one catch a game like he always did, and it tanked me in golf league. So I'm still I'm still bitter about that <laughs> fact. Um, but Debo, I'm looking at startup value right now. Debo is going in the sixth round. He is going around. He's going after Diggs, after Jaden Reed, before Isaiah Pacheco, after George Pickens, Travis Kelsey, and 109. And as someone who has like a 109 in the league, I would absolutely trade 109 for Debo Samuel. Okay. I have keep, keep trade cut has him as wide receiver 28 and worth a 2024 late first. He is sandwiched in between Jaden Reed and George Pickens. Okay. Um, if I'm honestly, if I'm in best ball, give me Debo over pick 107, 108. But in, in, you know, set your lineup dynasty, I'm, I'm good to move off Debo. If I can get, if I can get 110. Right, one ten, one oh nine, and then say I have one oh five. Maybe I could tier those up and get neighbors. Yeah, I mean, that's the back picks. It, depending where he goes, to. I mean, because neighbors could hit one oh four. I it's I think he's another guy like DK Metcalf, where this could potentially be the last year where you sell him off of name value. At least like at least Debo had like a top five wide receiver finish, right? Where like I'm looking at starter value. DK Metcalf is pick five twelve. Debo Samuel's six point one. Or sorry, six point ten. Okay, that's a uh, that's a huge gap in like value for me of like perceived ceiling on a guy where I would personally rather have Debo, like you said, of the best ball of like he can give me thirty or he can give me five, whatever. With DK Metcalf, I'm like, all right, well, you're gonna give me ten across the whole season outside of two games, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think I think Debo is is a guy that you can still utilize to exploit based on name value. I agree with that. So. It looks like our three players, we have uh, Kirk Cousins buy. We have a Mark Andrews buy. We have a Debo Samuel sell. Yes. I'm just, I'm in awe of the work that we've done. Also, if you're in startups this year and you want to win a championship, all the crusty vet running backs are in round 11. You have Nick Chubb, Austin yeah. Eckler, Derek Henry, James Conner, and Aaron Jones. All in the same round. So if you want to win a championship, go start trading seconds yeah. in your startups and start winning some titles. Interesting. Or if you're in the TLG Dynasty startup, give us your seconds for James Conner. Yeah, Ryan right. Robinson. Please, <laughs> feel free. 